host. Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie with my weekly podcast. Hope everyone is doing fine and learning and listening every week and taking something out of these podcasts so that you're able to live a better life, a safer life in your children and your family and all of those problems that we all have, you're getting some better understanding too, so that you can take a look at them and try to push them out of your way so life can be a little bit easier. So today we're talking about a very interesting topic, one that many people think, ah, eh, it's really not that important. It's not that big of a deal or they minimize it or they deny it. But the bottom line is, let me tell you, this can be a real problem into the fact that it spills into the realm of being an addiction. And I have uh, treated many patients who have had this issue, but one in particular who will be joining me today, and she and I did a little piece for ABC about a year or so ago because her shopping addiction was so out of control. She was on several news outlets and uh, Oprah and all that kind of stuff. And she'll be joining me today and an expert on helping us understand really what is the underpinnings and the foundations that lead to a shopping addiction. But my bigger question for you today is, do you ever worry that your love of shopping and love of shopping is the key has crossed the line and become an addiction? And what are the signs to look out for and how can you get some help? Because many people think, ah, I'm just shopping. But the bottom line is it becomes a coping skill. It becomes a self-soothing mechanism. I feel better when I shop. And whether you're aware of you're saying that to yourself or not, the bottom line is your brain from a chemical perspective is aware that you're telling yourself you feel better when you shop because it's that rush you get from the chemicals that soothes that anxiety or whatever it is that you're dealing with emotionally and or not dealing with and then you shop you shoot out some chemicals in your brain you feel better you bought something and you don't even want it probably but you feel better and that behavior gets reinforced over and over and over again from a very young age or from watching somebody role model it for you and before you know it you can't stop shopping and you've spilled it over into the line of an addiction so give me your thoughts, give me your calls, one eight five five sophie now or one eight five five seven six seven. Every caller will receive a free copy of my book, and it'll be signed, Side by Side, the Mother-Daughter Conflict Resolution Book. We'll be joined by a guest expert and one of my patients who we did an ABC piece for on this very topic who had it pretty severe. So stay tuned, come on back, one eight five five sophie now or one eight five five seven six seven four nine six six. So let's go to the phones now. I think we have uh, a whole bunch of callers and voicemails and emails, but let's take the first one. Dr. Sophie, I was actually calling in regards to shopaholism. Lately, I've been getting a lot of flack from my friends and family saying I shop too much or I spend too much in when I do shop. I shop every weekend or so, and I don't like go overboard. I don't have a huge credit limit, but I do. I shop every weekend. Just curious if there are signs of shopping addiction or when I should be worried that I may actually have an addiction. I don't think it's the case, but friends and family may see otherwise and are kind of pushing me away from shopping every weekend. But it brings me joy and pleasure. So I'm just curious if you might be able to touch on the shopping addiction subject. Thank you for your help. Very interesting and very timely. That is like such the key prototype email from somebody or voicemail about shopping addiction because it really shows 
us that people really don't know if they should take it seriously. They don't know if it's really something that they should worry about. Does it need help? What does that really mean? And just at the very end, you heard, I don't know why it's a problem. It brings me pleasure and, and I enjoy it. But that's the bottom line. That's that behavior that she has reinforced probably over the years to feel good. She then has some emotional issue, whether she's aware of it or not, maybe just simple, simple anxiety that we all have, or she's not really aware of something that isn't working in her life, but whatever. It has become a self-soothing mechanism for her to go buy something. And the rush and the adrenaline and the excitement and the brain chemical release and then that physical feeling of, ah, I feel better, is really the reinforced behavior of why shopping is the way to deal with that pain. And over years, you reinforce that, and that's the behavior you rely on. So that's that little mechanism that you really have to take a look at. Something's going on, whether I'm aware of it or not, may feel a little anxiety, I might feel a little depressed, and then my automatic response is, well, I'll just go buy something. And you may not even be aware that this is going on inside of your head or your heart, and you buy something, you feel better, and you have now subconsciously reinforce that that's the way to feel better. And if you repeat that over and over and over again, that becomes the muscle you use when you have to feel better, whether you're aware of it or not. And so that's that one piece of what is the mechanism. The other piece is, is it a problem like the caller is asking? And it is a problem if it does become a barrier to other parts of your life from a sleeping perspective to a financial perspective to a working perspective. I have many patients, and we'll be hearing from one today who will join me, of the devastation that this did to her life, from financial problems to marital problems, all across the board in her life. It just devastated her life because she was addicted to shopping. It became such a reinforced behavior, she couldn't stop it. Similar to, got to put that cocaine in my, in my body, I've got to have that drink. You deny it, you talk yourself into it, but the bottom line is if it's interfering with your ability to function, it is a problem. And the way you know that is maybe other people are saying something to you, maybe your bank account is saying something to you, maybe your ability to work is starting to fall off and you don't have enough money but you still need to shop and you can't stop it. Whatever it is, take a look at it because if you're shopping too much and you can't afford it or it's really wreaking havoc on your life, then it's probably too much. And we'll be talking to an expert today about where to get some help, how to reach out and get some resources, because there is help out there. There's great help out there. There's a way to address this issue and move it into a different space and use it as a different coping skill. But you got to know that you need help. So joining me today, which is a huge honor for me, talking about shopping addiction, is Terrence Schulman. Terrence Schulman is a really educated guy and a really well-rounded person. And who better to really look at some of this stuff than someone who maybe, as I learned, and he'll talk a little bit, hopefully, about this, that he's in recovery himself since March 1990 from addictive, compulsive shopping and stealing. And, I mean, who better to be able to talk about that, as I said, but also the honesty that he comes and he brings and the personal experience, I'm sure, has been tremendous for anybody he reaches out to help. So, Terrence, are you there? I am, Dr. Sophie. Thank you for having me on. How are you? Thank you for joining me. Well, my pleasure, my pleasure. Yes, one of the, the things that really stuck out for me in your bio, yes, your education and all of that stuff in the books, but the fact that you had the ability to really look at yourself and say, you know what, I've done this and I've recovered and every day is a, is a positive movement forward for me has been, I'm sure, the biggest tool to help you help others. What do you think? Oh, absolutely, yes. Well, I appreciate you bringing that to attention. Um, yeah, um, I was... Uh, I'm 46 now, but from about the age of 15 to 25, 
I went through about a decade of a dark period from about uh, 1980 to 1990 where I was compulsively shoplifting and at times stealing from the workplace. And um, I was arrested twice at age 21 and, and just before age 25. And the last arrest in 1990 uh, was right in the middle of law school as I was uh, studying to be an attorney nonetheless. Wow. You can kind of imagine uh, how confused uh, I was or how sick I was. So I've come a long way in a little over 20 years, and um, it has been a big gift for me not only to get help for myself but to, to take what I learned about myself and to do a little research about the prevalence of shoplifting and stealing and to find that without making excuses for it because it is wrong, and I do believe there ought to be natural consequences, but that a lot of people get kind of uh, put into a, a, a box as just a plain thief or as a dishonest person and and there's a lot of other things going on for many people who steal, and there can be actually progressive and effective help available for those who are living in secrecy and shame, ignorance even, that there may be even specialized help and fear and shame that, uh, you know, too afraid to come forth even. Right. Well, you know, I was, I was saying earlier, I think that many people don't even take this seriously. They are like, well, you know, I shop, you know, what's too much shopping? As long as I have the right. money, I can shop. Or, you know, this is a big company. They're not going to miss those paper clips right. and tape and blah, blah, blah. I mean, right. what do you say to those kinds of people? Well, I understand it, and I do believe we're gradually changing the, um, the public opinion and awareness and sensitivity about these topics. So I work with four main disorders as an addiction therapist. I've been a licensed social worker and addiction therapist for 15 years. I do work primarily with adults, but I have worked with children and teens, and I know you have a, a special uh, calling and mission to help children, and I'm, I'm very um, in awe of that. I work primarily with what I call uh, shoplifting addiction, which is a little different from kleptomania, which is very, very rare. But shoplifting um, addiction is pretty prevalent. We, we estimate that about 10% of Americans are shoplifting with some degree of regularity. Wow. That's, that's about 30 million Americans. Certainly the economy has actually increased the amount of shoplifting. And it isn't only because of financial distress, although that might be part of it in many cases. But when people are feeling helpless, powerless, they're feeling angry, they're feeling like life is unfair, they're feeling desperate, a lot of times people will cross over a line when they're in dire straits or not thinking clearly. And, and the, the key is, it can become addictive, just like with anything. I also work with employee theft, which is an even more prevalent behavior. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, about 75% or more of people in the workplace steal uh, or are dishonest in one way, shape, or form. And also with the economy, we believe that has been on the uh, upswing. And then shopping or spending addiction, which you were alluding to a moment ago, does still kind of get laughed at. And some people even bravely wear their banner, I'm a shopaholic and I'm proud. But about 10% of our population has chronic problems with overshopping and overspending. And we look around even at our government, which is our nation, which is $15 trillion in debt, and, and a lot of companies are playing loose and fast with their books. And, yeah, and absolutely. And, and so for the average American, the average family, the average company, or the average local or national government, something's going on where we can't seem to balance our budgets. And we want, 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 and we put it on plastic. And, and then hoarding disorder, which has gotten a lot of attention the last few years because of the cable TV programs, I've begun to work more with that, too, and a lot of people will look at those programs and go, oh, my God, how can people live that way? And even a, a possible hoarder might look at the program and go, well, that person's a hoarder, but I'm not that bad. Right, I'm not that right. bad. I don't have a problem. Right. But all these issues that I work with have a lot to do with money and things and, and an unhealthy relationship to them. And do you think a lot of them are rooted in, with what you just said, also anxiety and yes. fear and anger and all that kind of stuff? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, uh, the, the classic case. Um, with the shoplifting and the stealing in particular, 
is people who have themselves felt stolen from, whether materially, but more often emotionally or relationally. So people who've been abused, neglected, um, a lot of cases where people had to grow up kind of very young and take care of their family. Right. Stealing becomes kind of a, an unconscious counterbalance to all of the pressures of giving and giving and giving. So I deal with a lot of codependent people. And again, I'm not making excuses. I'm just trying to say that there's more to this than me. Yeah, the eye. no, absolutely. With shopping and spending, there's largely two categories of people. Those who grew up in family environments where there was deprivation, whether materially and or emotionally. So the shopping is an effort to fill a void, right. make up for the lack of material things that they didn't get, or more importantly, emotional relationship. Or they can grow up in a, in a home where they're overindulged and spoiled and then keep moving it forward and treating their own children like that and giving, 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 and buying, 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 because that's what's normal and that's what they're used to. Right, right, right. So parents need to be careful. There's a, a, a sweet spot in the middle between depriving your kids and overindulging them, whether materially or emotionally. Nobody's going to get it perfect, but we've got to kind of keep an eye on that middle. Yep, I think that's the, a really very good point for parents to really understand, that there is a balance, and you have to strike that, because otherwise you're on one side or the other, and you're really going to end up with some issues exactly. later on. And, and what do you think about, I've, I've had a couple cases where when I drill it down, at the end of the day, people were stealing to make somebody else angry, whether it's their employer or whoever, or sure. their aunt or their uncle or whoever they were stealing from. And so it's a yeah. passive way to get back at people, too. A absolutely. It, well, for instance, it's a silent protest. So right. a lot of people, when they're stealing from a store, first of all, they, they think they're not stealing from anybody. It's a nameless, faceless entity, so they don't think they're actually stealing from anybody. Right. Or they might be mad not only the store for charging so much, and by the way, the reason stores charge a lot, it's a 50% markup, at least because of all the shoplifting and employee theft. Wow. So not part of the solution, we're part of the problem. But they also feel um, angry at society, angry at authority, and they can take it out at the store. They, people can be angry at their boss, they're not getting a raise, they're not getting recognized, they're having to work harder with less, so they take it out and yeah. take it to the workplace. Or maybe they're having problems in their family life in displacing their anger at the stores or in the workplace just as, as many of us have a bad day at work and we come home and we kick the dog. Right. There's a lot of passive-aggressive display. Right. And, we, and that's what I work with people on to figure out what is the real core of your grievance or your anger and how can you cope with it differently, work with it differently, be more assertive or, 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 or leave the relationship or leave the job if it, if it really isn't working for you rather than continue to put yourself at risk for getting yeah. arrested or fired or prosecuted. Very interesting because the behavior that you're seeing, the stealing or the hoarding or the shop, whatever, mm -hmm. is really just a symptom of what's really is underneath in that core. Yeah, I use the metaphor of an onion, but like with any addiction, we definitely have to pay attention to the addiction itself, whether it's gambling, drinking, shopping, overeating. It definitely causes a lot of problems. But while we're working on that and trying to contain it and understand where that came from, we really start peeling back the onion layers and finding out what the real pain is, the real grief, the real trauma, the betrayal, the hopelessness. Right. There might be depression or anxiety disorders there that need treated. And we have to educate the family and as a culture. And because you do so much work with children, you know, most of my clients, as I said, are adult. But if we can get them early because there's a real epidemic of dishonesty happening with the youth is they're looking at the headlines and looking for good role models and seeing fewer and fewer of them. They're being tempted to lie to steal and even to cheat on exams with right, widespread. Right. And so how do we teach the value of honesty and integrity without it just seeming like hollow lip service when kids are looking around and even in their own parents seeing, uh, you know, sometimes samples of dishonesty and bad role modeling. Yep, so it's, no no it's easy amazing. task. And I've wanted to bring some programs into schools 
to teach them not only about the dangers of drugs and, and, and unsafe sex and unplanned pregnancy and sexual harassment and bullying, which are all important topics, but what about honesty and integrity? Exactly, because it's going down the tubes. I, I, I just can't tell you how much I honor your work, and I think that what you do is really tremendous. I want you to meet, I'm going to bring on to... Uh, talk with us is Ginger Logan Cannon. She was a patient of mine that okay. we ended up doing a little piece for ABC to kind of highlight this as a problem and that looking at people so that they can kind of take a look in their own lives and see do they have any of these issues and really try to reach out for help in breaking the stigma. And she'll talk to you a lot and I want you to talk to her and see the journey that she's taken. It's, it's really amazing. Ginger, are you with us? Good morning, I guess. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Ginger, you're on with Dr. Sophie and Terrence Schulman, who is from Detroit, and he is a, okay. an attorney. He's a social worker, and he's a actually recovering himself since, like, March of 1990 from addictive, oh. compulsive shopping and stealing. So you guys have uh. a lot to talk about from different <laughs> perspectives, but can you share, uh. with, share with us a little bit, Ginger, how you and I met and the journey that you've taken and, and where you're at today? Oh, it was amazing. I actually began one evening, I was sitting on my computer, and I don't even remember where I got this email from, but the email came in, are you a, a shopaholic? And they were looking for shopaholics. And I thought it was hilarious. And I answered, hey, is there such a thing as a shopaholic? I mean, I like to shop. But so what? And I answered back kind of half-heartedly. They responded back. And it started on a journey that made me look at myself. I had no intention of looking at myself. The gift was that through the journey, once they really got into here, and I met Dr. Sophie, and he was kind enough to say, uh, you know, you really need to take a journey, and he, he took an interest. It took somebody other than myself because right. I guess I was in denial or something. No, about you didn't it. want to stop shopping. Yeah, I just, I, I couldn't. And I mean, it, it is a constant battle that I even deal with today, but I'm, I'm more perceptive. I understand it, and I'm able to address it when it shows up. Well, Dr. Serby was really uh, persistent. He finally uh, got me to respond because once I started realizing that I did have a problem, you start peeling back that onion, I ran. Right. I well, didn't want to deal with it. Ginger, tell him like the extent of the shopping. I mean, Terrence says it was amazing, the stuff yeah, that this I woman was doing. Yeah, go ahead. I live in California, and I have like 13 or 14 fur coats. I'm a high-end shopper, and for me, um, the more expensive it is, it was almost like validating but right. growing up African-American, you know, growing up with a family that, you know, first impressions make the lasting impressions, mm -hmm. going into jobs where women were not really uh, law enforcement modeling, where women are kind of just there. My fight was to be the best dressed, uh, have, and that's what I thought it was all about. I just wanted to go in there and look well, but I realized that I never could solve the issue of do I have enough shoes? I mean, when we started purging through here, I'd bought the same shoes two or three times. We started digging through stuff. I had closets out in the garage that were packed, boxes of things, and it really gotten out of control. And I really hadn't noticed it because I justified it. I'm a person that likes fashion. How about, yeah, the financial devastation? It was very financial, devastating. I uh, would spend money that I didn't have. I would max out credit cards, anything that I could do. And, and I validated by saying, I'm worth it. And if I can't get it, I just feel like it's a punishment if I can't have that. So, Terrence, how do you, how do you make that connection? Like she just said, I'm worth it. That's a right. self-soothing behavior? Well, absolutely. Well, first of all, Ginger, thank you for, for sharing a little bit about your story. And, and I'm very grateful that Dr. Sophie was... Uh, sensitive and informed enough to realize 
that this was a real problem because I've had many clients who've told me that they went to a local therapist and talked about their problems with shopping and spending, and it was kind of looked at as a joke and, and, and yeah. it's a real thing. So part of it is I think we, we live in a culture where we're trying to keep up with the Joneses and get a slice of the American dream, whatever that is. Some of us, yes. for whatever reason, are more susceptible than others to, to buying into the image. Now, women a lot uh, certainly have... Um, a lot of added pressures in our culture to have the you know the clothing and to have the look, and men even though have pressures to make the make the money and buy the nice car and the home, and so we all have pressures. And probably again, being African American, on top of it, I can have yeah. some cultural sensitivity. Imagine that you know you wanted to make that good impression to get ahead, right. get your foot in the yeah. door, and that and and to feel deserving of it, maybe having gone through some form of deprivation, wanting so much. Now this whole issue of worth, and I'm worth it. What you're really worth or what I'm really worth is feeling good about myself. And what we yes. know is part of that is maybe how I look because, you know, it's important how I present myself and I want to feel good about my body. But if it's tilted too much in that direction and it's all about looks, very often people get awfully wobbly. Even the right. supermodels right. You, you talk to and everybody yeah. thinks they're, they're a 10 or 11 on a scale of 10. But, you know, what you find out is they often feel very insecure uh, they yeah. often uh, are anorexic or bulimic, so they often have a very poor self-image because so much of their sense of self-esteem and value is based on their looks that they often say, nobody really gets to know me. Nobody knows that I'm smart, that I'm talented, that I'm caring, yeah. that I'm funny. Right. So when we're, over, you know, when we're overburdened about our looks or our image, and there are people we call image shoppers or trophy shoppers, those who have to have the best of everything, it can get excessive, and as you found out, there's no end to it because once you've kind of satisfied a momentary urge and feel like I'm worth it, then it's just a matter of time, usually less than 24 hours, before you've got to do it again or get something yeah. more. Then we know we're kind of in, getting in an addictive cycle. Right. So, and and, yeah. and we, ha we need to, I think, teach our children about a balanced kind of self-image and self-esteem, not based just on being book smart, not based just on, as I grew up, you know, a lot of my self-esteem came from caring for my family, which is a lovely thing, but that's how I became a classic codependent. I was the Terry who everybody knew would be selfless and do everything for everybody, but I didn't get to know the other sides of me, and I wasn't able to say no ever. My children, I remember in kindergarten, got their first Louis Vuitton purse in kindergarten. These are six-year-olds. Oh, Ridiculous. Yeah. Now, Ginger, talk a little bit about how when we started this journey, you and I, I mean, how we tied it oh. back to a lot of the foundation. I mean, Terrence, there was a lot of her early childhood yep. stuff that never got dealt with that she sure. pushed to the side. And as it was trying to it come up, amazing. she was feeling those physical feelings of anxiety and whatever. Yep. Dr. Sophie was incredible in getting me to yep. look inside myself. And it, it was an accident. I began to look at really who Ginger was. Right. It was very painful. I started looking at people around me. My father, who I adored, my father was an alcoholic. I mean, I had to admit that. I've always make excuses because he worked every day. He had plenty of money, bought all his property. But the bottom line was, you know, I remember him in the evenings. He'd be in his room. Sometimes he'd drink. Sometimes he's in there. He was he had mood swings. But he was very much an addictive shopper. My father had a walk-in closet for his shoes. Wow. He was, he was a child with a depression. And the depression, which used to tell me, well, you had to get whatever was there. So he had really, really needed surgery on his feet. So he said whenever he got grown, he could buy shoes. They fit, he bought all the colors, every pair. So he'd go into this big shoe closet. It was just ridiculous. Then I started remembering. Things just started coming back. I'd wake up. I'm calling Dr. Sophie. I remember when I integrated my elementary school, I got beat half to death. 
you know. And I know when I came out of that, I came out thinking I could never be a victim. I'm as good as these people. I've got skipped twice. But what it manifested for me is I outwardly wanted them to accept me for who I was. They really weren't getting to know me. I was right. a much kinder person underneath that. So as I grew, and of course I went into the modeling field, which is a great field of rejection. That was just worse. That made it worse. And and, and therapy was saying, you pick probably two of the worst things to do. You go into modeling, then you go into law enforcement. Neither one of those support women. Right. And I right. did both. Terrence, like you were saying earlier, a lot of childhood neglect, abuse, whatever, really transformed itself. And that's kind of where she, Ginger, tapped into a lot of her own stuff of neglect, abuse, and, and yeah. parental issues that she really basically blocked out. We were sitting was, there one day amazing. and she had like an, a, a huge uh, awareness of a really traumatic event that just kind of came back all of a sudden and of flooded course. her. So We were sitting there one day and I said, Dr. Sophie, you know, I know, you know when it rains, when it rains to this day, it, it makes me very melancholy. It makes me very sleepy. I just thought, you know, that's what rain does. It's some biochemical thing or something. But I've noticed that when it rains, I generally don't even feel like getting out of bed. Well, what I actually went all the way back, I re, I had not remembered, and I've had to confront my mother with this since I talked to you, Dr. Sophie. It's, it's a real horrible situation. But she boarded me out. I was four years old. She boarded me out live with these people while she was getting herself together. I got molested. And every time she would come, she would leave me again. She would come. She was always dressed up really pretty. And you were molested in that home, right? Messed up in that in that home. Yeah. I would beg her to take me. Beg her, please don't leave me here. And I was there for about six months. And I just kind of covered it up, and I totally removed it. I have, you know, and, and to this day when it rains, I just kind of don't want to do much of anything, but I do understand the feelings that I got. And when I brought it up and confronted her about it, you know, my mother was like, well, everybody's been molested. <laughs> you know, crazy. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, um, <laughs> Dr. Sophie, I, I have to wrap up in a moment. Okay, I'm going to take um, a couple of voicemails. Just one will take you and I. Um, okay. Ginger, stay on with us. and okay, um, sure. We have a bunch of voicemails, but I'd like you to take at least one or two. Okay. That's All right, let's go. Hi, Dr. Sophie. Um, my name is Patty, and I have a 17-year-old daughter who appears to be addicted to online shopping. She has her own part-time job, and so she does earn some money, which has enabled her to have a debit card and a PayPal account. But the problem is she's overdrawn. She's, she shops so much, she's overdrawn these accounts on more than one occasion. And although my husband and I bailed her out at the beginning, when this started happening, we've since stopped doing that. However, this hasn't stopped her from the shopping. We've taken away her computer privileges at home, but she still finds a way to access devices, usually at a friend's house. We don't allow her to use her cell phone anymore, and she isn't allowed to drive our cars. We've really taken away so many of her privileges, but she still finds a way to buy things online, and we're at our wit's end. And I was just hoping that you could perhaps provide some suggestions or a resolution to this issue. So really appreciate your help, Dr. Sophie. Thank you so much. Take care. Take it away, Terrence. What do you think? Okay. Well, so I would recommend that uh, the parents talk to the daughter and uh, encourage her to get into some counseling, and preferably with someone who's a specialist. People can go to our website at shopaholicsanonymous.org, and it'd be helpful even to have the family look at that website and some of the material on there and the videos possibly to read um, books on this topic, including my book, Bought Out and Spent, Recovery from Compulsive Shopping and Spending, and impress upon the daughter that, you know, they're concerned about her, that the um, continued uh, shopping and indebting is a, a bad habit to get into, 
and it's probably a sign that something else is going on in her life that they need to figure out, and she's probably going to need professional counseling, and the, the quicker the better. Sometimes it's hard to force your child to get counseling, but if you come from a loving, caring perspective, and, and the family may even have to engage in it, too, to figure out what's really going on, it's a, it's a cry for help. Yeah, it is frustrating, it is. and you don't want to sweep it under the rug, but you have to be careful also about over-punishing. That's what I was going to say. They can always find somewhere to order. You can go to the yeah. library and get on the computer. Yeah. Terrence, how angry are they going to make this child? Well, right. That, that's the thing. Um, it's going to become a, a battle of the wills and right. rebellion, and then the shopping will, uh, can develop as a rebellious thing. And I find a lot of times when I'm working with couples, in particular, you know, female clients, they're, they're battling against their husband and going out and shopping passive-aggressively, like, right. tell me what to do. And she's at that age already where she's trying to not be told what to do and is kind of rebel. So they have to come from a, a firm, strong of, you know, this is a concerning behavior because it can be an addictive behavior and we care about you and something else is going on. This is not just about power and control, but something's going on. We want to find out and we want to know what's going on. Talk to us. Find out what's going on. Or maybe they've got to do a little research and find out what's going on in school. Is there bullying? Is right. There something's going on where she's trying to soothe herself or fit in or distract herself. It's really an outward cry for help. But teens are too prideful, as are many adults, to sometimes even be conscious of what's going on or to come forward and say, yes, I am hurting. Exactly. And I yeah. think, you know, you hit the nail on the head. There's, there's something underneath there, and they need to re- reach, out, yeah. reach out for help. That's just uh, the top of the whale. There's it something is. a lot deeper than that. All right, Terrence Shulman, I, need, I know you need to go. Yes, I appreciate your you time. I appreciate your expertise. We can find you at www.theshulmancenter.com. And we look forward to having you back. We will, I would tweet, love it. We will tweet you, and we will send okay. people your way. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good luck to you, and thank you nice all. Nice meeting you. Thank you, Ginger. Good luck to you. Okay. Thanks. Thank Bye. You. Bye. Ginger, how about we take a live caller? Okay. I think on the line we have Stephen. Okay. Hey, Dr. Sophie. How are you? I'm good. Stephen, you're on the phone with myself and Ginger Cannon, a Hi. shopaholic Hi. survivor. Hey, Ginger. How are you? Um, I... I guess I'm a survivor as well, so we're oh, very a company. Nice. Um, I suffer from bipolar, and as we all know, that manic shopping sprees are one of the biggest things that happen when we're in mania because we're just out of control and we don't realize what we're doing and often get ourselves into quite a bit of trouble. They could be um, fun, though. They <laughs> sure can be fun, and that's what my next part of the question is, is that when, de- when in depression, I often find that you know, shopping and buying things, no matter what it is, is definitely lifting, you know, the mood, which I think happens for everyone, but more so in the case of a depressive episode. And my question, I guess, is how do I know what's enough or too much? Because I don't want to get myself into the same situation which I've found in the past where, you know, I'm thousands and thousands of dollars in debt and have nothing left to live because I've blown it all away in a manic episode, but not being too scared to do anything. Right. Depressive states that, like, balance of what's acceptable or what what's a way to be able to go and get that high from the shopping without you know overdoing it so to speak what do you think ginger like how have you no, been able to put I, in those, I know those when, stop I'm, when i'm shopping I've, I've, I've done that i've blown the money I, I then i have severe shoppers for morris which is terrible i bought things and set them in a room and go back in the room six months later didn't even remember i bought them so i obviously was going through something when i go in and uh you know, you can always like nice things. If you have great taste, you can have it. Well, I'll look at something now, and I almost put it in a must-have situation. Must I really have that? Do I really have to have that? What is it? I start to question. 
the purchase and, and see, what by, it means to me. And Stephen, by doing that, then you take the emotional piece out of that reaching to no. buy, and you really no. start to use your head a little bit, and you start to say, do I really need, that? need that? And then you're not, not feeling cool. the high necessarily, and you're like, no, of course I don't need another sweater. Yeah, it messes it all up. And I've walked so, out of the store, Dr. Sophie, with nothing. Good that was job. Terrible. I mean, so, I stood there. I didn't even put it in the basket. I'm walking around, and I keep looking at it. Oh, and I've, I've, I've had where, um, I guess, and this is one of the coping mechanisms i found, is that like even like a store like a Target or CVS where it's that thrill of putting the stuff in the basket and you can almost like get to the register and then, you know, edit what you're buying and what, what ends up happening is you've had a cart full of stuff, but you're leaving with the three things you actually went in for. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's the biggest key. I think you, you have to disconnect the emotional piece from the... Head piece, so the head from the heart piece when you're buying something, and really, if yeah. you can get that emotion off of it, you'll see that you're going to be able to put it back on the shelf, even if you did put it in your cart. Is it, yeah, is it okay though? Like, is that a therapeutic thing to do? Is kind of like go on this faux shopping spree? Sure, and, I mean, it, and put it all back. Absolutely, that, it's it's a step in the right yeah. direction, and eventually, it's going to have no thrill for you because there's right. not that much That's emotion, and the it really yeah. It basically extinguishes that as a coping skill. And in the meantime, you have to be getting your other parts of your life together so that you have other healthy coping skills like of course. sweeping and, you know, exercising and all that. So there you go. Take yeah. the emotion away from it, Stephen. Thanks so much, doctor. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right, bye. Ginger, it's been a, ver a real pleasure to have you. Okay, you take care. Thank you, you too. All right, guys, that was very interesting. We talked about shopping addiction. Believe it or not, it exists. And compulsive stealing, kleptomania, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there. We had a really talented and well-versed expert, Terrence Shulman, attorney, social worker, a sufferer and recovering addict from addictive and compulsive shopping and stealing himself since 1990, really well-informed guy from many angles. And he has some really great books out there, and you can find him on www.theshulmancenter.com. We were also joined by Ginger Logan Cannon, who was a patient of mine, and we'll be tweeting out the uh, ABC link so you can take a look at what she and I did for Nightline about a year or so ago about her compulsive shopping and how it was devastating her and her life and her family. And I just want you to be aware that this does exist. There are symptoms. There are red flags. And we talked about a lot of them today. And get online. Educate yourself. And if you have a family member or yourself that you think is, is having or suffering some, from some of these issues, please reach out and get them some help, especially if you're a parent and you have a child that you are suspicious about or you're trying to contain their shopping or their spending or they're stealing, those are red flags. And the more you punish your child, the less you're going to get. You're going to make them angrier, and then that anger just fuels that compulsive stealing, shopping, whatever behavior. Really, unhook, take a look, stop the punishment, sit down, talk to your child, go out and get somebody to talk to who's an expert who can start to navigate this from a, a middle standpoint for you guys because your child is crying out for help if they have these behaviors. Again, shopping addiction, very serious, and we are here if you need us. Thank you to all of my listeners and my callers for today's show. Please, podcasts are always available on my website. Plug in, listen to them on www.drsophie.com or call 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW or 1-855-767-4966. I want to hear what you think. I want to hear what your questions are. I want to hear your opinions and things that we should talk about more. Also, 
Side by Side, my first book, and it's about mothers and daughters and their conflicts and the resolving of those conflicts, and everybody got to have a copy of that. You can get it off my website. And any caller that calls in, I will send you a signed free copy, and it's called Side by Side. I want you to follow me if you can on Twitter and Facebook. I look forward to that so I can update you on everything I'm doing and everybody I'm talking to. And visit iTunes, please, to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. And of course, don't forget to sweep. But you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down, hey, you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down.